Good morning. I'm Maya Wimala. And today is November the 9th. We are <laughs> we're kind of overcast today here in Crystal Lake. And the weather forecast it is rather confusing. Kind of blustery, windy weather, maybe some rain, maybe some snow. Sunday should be uh sunny. So kind of all over the place, everything all at once, but not super cold. And then warmer next week. So it, uh, the weather is baffling to all of us everywhere, I know. That's more impermanence. This morning I want to read from Robert Thurman's Wisdom. The Wisdom, uh, wisdom is Bliss. Four friendly fun facts that can change your life. And those friendly fun facts are the we're discovering that they are the Four Noble Truths. And uh, my good friend Patty suggested that uh, I leave some time for questions and answers. So if you have a question that you'd like to ask, you can, um, as I'm reading, what I'll do is stop. And, and if you have questions that you want to type up uh, on Facebook, I can answer those after after reading, or if there's a good break in the reading, but before we prep, we sit for the bit. We don't want to use up all of our time, but we can see how, how it goes. So feel free to write any questions and uh, wait a little bit before you do, and then I can see the questions and leave some time for them before we meditate together. And if I miss anybody's question, what I'll do is look at it later and be sure tomorrow to come back with any lucidity that I have about it. So, this book is wonderful, and I'm reading it. I'm going to read today following on what I read yesterday, which is in uh, the first chapter, which is talking about the realistic worldview. Remember, he talks about the Eightfold Path, well, and the Four Noble Truths, and instead of using the word right, he uses um, the word realistic, which I think is a good, it's a good translation for uh, the Eightfold Path, and the, the, he calls it the highway with eight lanes after, after introducing the Four Noble Truths. Then he begins to talk about the Eightfold Path and uses realistic. Uh, according with reality. So that's a good translation because that's what we're always wanting to do with with our view, our Buddhist viewpoint is to see things clearly the way they really are. So we jumped into it when he talked too about meditation is not the whole picture. There's a lot of understanding and concepts to recognize and uh, action to take, and his teacher had uh, had kind of pulled him away because he felt the teacher felt like uh, Robert was getting uh, like wanting to escape from the world using his meditation, which I think that's great. That's a that's great insight. So I'm going to start, there might just be one paragraph of overlap, but I think this next part 
a, a few pages of this. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter. It's really very good on realistic worldview, which is what we often call right understanding in, of the Eightfold Path, and he's calling it realistic worldview. So, the Buddha's great discovery came from his sustained... Oh, I'm sorry, let me... The Buddha's great discovery. So this is right after his, him talking about meditation is not the whole thing. The Buddha's great discovery came from his sustained investigation of the status of his sense of absolute intrinsic self-identity, which he spent six years looking for within himself. Eventually, he experienced that sense as baseless. Its assumed object, his intrinsic identity, dissolving under analysis. A little scary at first, but then immensely releasing. So those are those six years of the Buddha uh, doing the ascetic practices and the mortification of the body, trying to see what really, uh, thinking that getting rid of the body was the way to find the self. The hard part of his liberating discovery was his experience of his habitual self seeming to disappear into a yawning nothingness. And the amazingly gracious and blissful part was the realization that his relational, resilient, living self was infinitely, blissfully, triumphantly, and responsibly better off without being trapped and subjugated by a false sense of domination for a seemingly fixed and tyrannical self-identity. His revolutionary discovery gave birth to the first of the eight lanes of the highway, the realistic worldview. It is just exactly this deep, visceral, relational, intuitive awareness of freedom a responsive freedom that automatically expands awareness of every detail of the field of cause and effect within which one is free to make the most realistic choices. This realistic worldview is what Buddhist science most importantly brings to the West and serves as the basis of any useful meditation. Thus, the realistic worldview initially has to do with learning, science, intellect, and wisdom, and ultimately deploys meditation to permeate all one's emotional and even instinctual being. Once such a worldview becomes clear, then meditation becomes realistic. So this is when meditation has its most important place. In fact, meditation at that point is totally necessary to deepen our understanding and open us, open us up to the miracle of relativity, thereby empowering our compassionate action. That is why Buddha insisted that the first lane on the highway invites our learning and understanding, and, and that learning 
means understanding relationships. Not only relationships in the sense of life partners or parents and children, but relationships within the realities of all that is. This is really the main mantra of Buddha's teachings. It's epitome. Uh, And he says, don't worry about the Sanskrit. This is just a mantra. So he has a mantra. I won't read the Sanskrit because I can't, but I will read the English. This is what he thinks of, uh, and this is, of course, in the Sanskrit and the Tibetan tradition. Of all things related, of all things created from causes, the realized Lord declared their causes and their cessation. Just this he proclaimed, all hail to him, the great transcender. Thus the realistic worldview is the rational acceptance of causation and its transcendence, not blind blind faith in some authority or guru. It is not even any compulsory belief in the Buddhist three jewel refuges, the Buddha as the example and teacher, the Dharma as the teachings and the reality taught, and the Sangha as a community of fellow students. It's not even blind faith in nirvanic freedom. Cause and effect are eminently plain to see, which reasonably leads to the Buddhist understanding that there is no single mysterious cause for things, but rather numerous causal conditions, which yet allow transcendent freedom. This is all a part of the realistic worldview that we can test, and if it meshes with our experience, we adopt. So that that is the that's the kernel, that's the essence of the Buddhist teachings. The first step toward a realistic worldview is one taken to accept the reality of causation, understanding cause and effect as both relative and and temporally infinite, ultimately beginningless and endless, we then can confront the causal world more creatively, knowing we are both part of it and potentially all of it. We can face its immensity and dedicate our potential infinite energy toward making the world ever better for everyone, thus facing and embracing the timeless infinity of interdependent causation gives us the strength in every finite-seeming time to learn to cope with reality cheerfully. We can voluntarily engage with it out of an amazing combination of freedom determined by wisdom and necessity met blissfully with compassion. So let me read that last sentence. I think that's great. So I'll read the last two. Thus facing and embracing the timeless infinity of interdependent causation gives us a strength in ever, every finite-seeming time to learn to cope with reality cheerfully. That's hard these days, right? We can voluntarily engage with it out of an amazing combination 
of freedom determined by wisdom and necessity met blissfully with compassion. I'll explain further what I mean by causation here. I am a New Yorker, and once I had an epiphany in the subway that left a lasting impression. I had been practicing and thinking about the Buddhist biological teaching about the beginning, the beginninglessness of life. That since no something can come out of nothing, all somethings come from other somethings, which solves the chicken and egg problem of which came first. Chickens and eggs just keep on coming, one before the other, back and back, until they're lost to view from our point in time. It seems correct, but there was this uneasy feeling about it, as if there must be some place where everything first came from, an original chicken or egg. On the other hand, who says so? Why can't it always have been going on? What's the harm in that? Once you let go of that worry, the implication of beginninglessness for me and you is that we have always existed in some form, having somehow become human in this life. But when I think about it all, given an infinite past with infinite past lives, I cannot rule out already having been every kind of being any number of times. And not only me, but every living being must also be the same. And so, every single being there in that subway car must have been involved with me over numerous previous lifetimes in every conceivable relationship. No particular relationship can be ruled out in the context of an infinite past of countless relationships. As this kind of thinking was going through my mind, I kept on glancing furtively at the other people up and down the subway car on the east side Lexington Avenue line going uptown from Union Square. In New York subways, one doesn't stare at other people much. Everyone is busy doing something, reading books, looking at their phones, or staring at the ads above the seats. Suddenly, people began to look familiar. Then it hit me that we had been involved with each other numerous times over numerous lifetimes, maybe as friends, maybe as enemies, maybe as parents and children, maybe as lovers, maybe as sisters or brothers. I had to control myself not to stare at people as they all began to seem so deja vu. From this experience, I developed a fantasy to explain to my friends the root of a Buddha's compassion, how a vow to save all beings from suffering, a kind of messianic determination called a bodhisattva vow, might make sense if one never meets other beings but once, and eventually all beings die and disappear, and then we escape from involvement with each other, there is no need to make such a fuss. But if everyone has been involved with each other beginninglessly, and if everyone is going to continue to be evolved again and again, endlessly, 
It makes sense that our involvement should be optimized. Who wants to fight and hate again and again? Who wants to hurt and be hurt again and again? Obviously, everyone should somehow come to love everyone else, and each want every other one of them to be happy, if only to prevent their unhappiness from spilling over upon oneself. Everyone should somehow come to help everyone else. So awakening to this realistic possibility, I can now do my part by promising to optimize my and others' benefit from my side, at least for starters. This is a very realistic worldview that inspires wakefulness and compassion. I'm going to read two more pages because he's getting into now um, how to actually develop the worldview. Well, let's see. I'm not going to read all of this section because we'll be out of time. How to actually develop this realistic worldview. There is no better instruction for developing the Buddhist worldview than a short set of verses given by Sankhapa. I'm sorry, the Tibetan words are... I'm not not pronouncing them right. Uh, Inspired by the angel of wisdom, Manjusri and written in a letter to a student of his in eastern Tibet. Though you may experience transcendence and feel the spirit of enlightenment, without the wisdom realizing freedom, you cannot cut the root of cyclic life. The wisdom of the realistic view is the most important of the three principles of the path of enlightenment. The first being the transcendent attitude that lowers the priority of worldly ambitions and focuses on the great quest of life, and the second, the spirit of enlightenment of the bodhisattva, the loving will to bring all other beings with you into freedom from suffering from the first dimension of freedom, from suffering, let's see, the loving will to bring all other beings with you into freedom from suffering. From the first mention of freedom from suffering, it is equated with relativity. Who sees the sure causality of things, of both cyclic life and liberation, and ends all objectivity convictions, thus finds the path that pleases Buddhas? The first step of realism is the exception is the acceptance of causation, which implies not continuing to project intrinsic reality, a thing in itselfness, into relative things we perceive. Visions in, inevitably relative and emptiness free from all assertions, as long as these are understood apart, the Buddha's intention is not yet known. So I'm going to stop there. Um, so this is definitely, you know, the the uh, bodhisattva. Uh, the bodhisattvas are not emphasized as much in the Theravada tradition, but 
the bodhisattvas are all sim- are symbols for qualities that we do uh, all want to, the, the qualities that we want to meditate on and uh, develop in our own lives. So the, the symbolic meaning of the bodhisattvas is important as well in that sense. But we don't uh, necessarily view them as strongly as, as, as uh, saints or uh, deities as the, in the Mahayana tradition. So before we have a little time for sitting, I do see a question uh, Donald is asking. The, okay, I think that's it. The Buddhists also believe in prayer and worshiping the other Buddhas, the Buddhas. That's a good question. Uh, we don't talk about prayer, but we certainly have things that we we want uh, to create our own blessings for. And we we it's okay to talk about prayer, but it's just the the idea of asking for things is not so developed. It's not something that we're concerned about. And worshiping the other Buddhas. Uh, we pay respect to the Buddhas. We don't worship them. So we pay respect to the the current living teaching Buddha, well, the, the current teaching Buddha uh, for us now is Shakyamuni Buddha. And so we pay respect to him as a teacher. And basically our role model is a human who attained enlightenment. But we don't worship. We don't because we don't see the Buddhas as uh, gods. They're human beings who, who transcended, uh, who became enlightened. And uh, they be, they, the ones that, that we, we think of, there's a list of about, uh, I think uh, Shakyamuni is the 28th in this kalpa. Um, we think of them with great respect and reverence but worship would not be the term we would use. So uh, what was the other part of the question? Do we believe in prayer? We, we don't talk about prayer the way that Christians do. If, prayer is, uh, if we see prayer as just a, maybe a contemplation or maybe part of our meditation practice, um, but prayer as supplication asking for something or um, speaking directly to a deity, I don't think we would, that's how, that wouldn't be exactly what we're doing. But we do send our good thoughts to people if someone is suffering or someone is going through a really difficult time. We might say, uh, if they ask for prayers, we might say, sure, we'll send our prayers. But for us, that would be sending our, sending our energy, sending, sending the quality, that same energy that we think of when we practice loving kindness. Uh, it's just sending out those, the blessings that we create or blessings we create for ourselves. So we're, we're really uh, thinking about sending the energy Oops, sorry. Sending sending energy to people to develop that those qualities and to develop that that uh, 
that realistic understand realistic worldview to develop the qualities of understanding uh, conditions and uh, dependent origination, those causes and conditions for all things. So we're that's what we're always encouraging people to look at, and so bringing their bringing blessings into their lives. So let's see. How can I attain my own enlightenment? Well, that's a good question. That's what we're we're we talk about purifying our minds. We read. Uh, we study with good teachers. We we do practice meditation. We're we're always trying to develop ourselves to be first of all to be a good human being with all the qualities of good, the qualities like understanding and patient and disciplined and with determination to keep following the path. We're always, the Buddha asks us all to follow the path and always be checking, is this, does, is this right? Is this the right, is this the right, uh, am I going in the right direction? Is this bringing me freedom from suffering? And I think we develop step by step. We've been, enlightenment is just when we're able to have rid ourselves of all of our defilements. And uh, this week we quit having to be on this samsaric, samsaric journey. Now, I've, and then, then you're asking the question, how would I know that I am enlightened? And... Um, I'm not enlightened, so I, I really don't know the answer to that question, but I think I think people who, yeah, unless there can be a lot of delusion, there are probably a lot of people who think they're enlightened who are not, but um, people who are will rarely talk about it as far as from what, from what I've heard. And uh, what we can, I think what we can know is that we're moving along the path where when we rid our minds of all of the defilements, all of the misunderstandings we have about the nature of life and the nature of reality, uh, I think we're getting we're getting close to it. And that goes along with having compassion and having uh, that uh, stability of mind and having uh, having being full of loving kindness, no anger, no hatred. When we've rooted out the three poisons, greed, hatred, and delusion, when those have all, when all of those uh, deep, deep wells have been drilled out and uh, we've purified our minds completely, then that's, that's when we're moving closer and closer. But, uh, I think we also can remember that if we even, what we want in lifetime is to move closer, move closer. We, we, I think when we worry about having to become enlightened in this lifetime, um, we, we may not be looking realistically at the task at hand. And would there are always things we can find that where we can become uh, deal deal more with the 
with the little mental things that trip us up. We can always be, we can always move closer to an enlightened state in a lifetime. And, uh, having it as our only goal is probably not helping us. We can't, we can't force it. We're not going to force it. So I think we, let's try, if you have time, let's sit together. We don't have much time, but thank you for the questions. It's good to see good friends, uh, Patty and David and others who, it's good to see. And so let's sit a little bit, and I, you may not have time, we're running over, but we'll have at least five minutes, okay, where we can sit together. And uh, tomorrow, the, question, the questions have been good. And some are unanswerable, but that's almost always the case. But let's uh, let's sit. Just let your body relax. But to be awake, we want to feel that we're we're lifting the body up. We're not slumping over, getting too comfortable. We want to be relaxed and at ease, but not. Uh, not drowsy, not falling asleep. If you want to, close your eyes. Just be aware of the body breathing. Just allow all of your senses, your sense doors can be open, except we're closing the eyes to just prevent some of that distracting visual uh, input, keep some of that out. Be aware of sounds, smells, taste, and the sense of touch and contact. And be aware of the mind working. We include the mind, as we say in Buddhism, there are six senses. Each sense has its own consciousness. So our sense doors what allows us to connect with the world. So we want to be open, that contact with the world is only through our senses. That includes our mind. So we're also aware of thoughts arising. And the way the mind interacts with all of this sense data, the sense input. So as your thoughts arise, be aware of them. But as we're first calming the mind, kind of settling it down a bit, we don't get involved with those thoughts. We let the thoughts come, we let them go. Now, when we begin working on uh, 
things that arise during meditation, feelings, uh, emotional things, not not the feelings of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, but when we begin to work with our emotions, we can begin to examine some of those. But as we're just calming the mind and settling, we can see the thoughts arising. Just allow them to rise and then fall away. When we work with our emotions, we'll see, we'll see things rising up. And then we can do some investigating. We can use rain and investigate those things as they rise up. So we're not repressing our issues, our emotional issues. We don't repress them. But when we're settling our mind and trying to just calm down, slow down, we just watch everything rise and fall away. Just be aware of sound without needing to identify the source or without letting it cause, uh, you know, if the sound is irritating you, just be aware of that. Then see if you can just let it go. And if you start to get caught up in other things, if they become distractions, just keep coming back to your breath. We're letting go and also letting be. We don't need to fix everything. Some things can't be fixed. So sometimes we just need to allow things to take their course. Recognize that we can't change everything. We can't fix everything. That may not be the right approach. Part of that is developing the quality of patience.
our first teaching on the Eightfold Path is to have a realistic view of the world. This is what we also call right understanding. We want to encourage ourselves to see things clearly, not through our self-identity, but see things the way they really are. So, may everyone, may all of us, for today, May all of our thoughts, our actions, our speech be done not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of all living beings. And may everyone be well and happy and peaceful. Thank you. Tomorrow we'll, we'll uh, if you have questions, bring them, and we'll also be reading, we'll be reading more from the book. Thank you so much.